Hey everybody, welcome to Just the Basics. I'm your host, Tommy Bowles, and my co-host is Matt Shaw. Hello. And uh, we're keeping the beat once a week. I like that. That's right. We've got a new tagline. That's set. Coming you right at you. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. So uh, this week, we're going to talk about the role of the uh, the bass player in music. Kind of what your responsibility as a bass player, but also what you should expect from your bass player when you're playing in a band setting. Um, there's two main things as a bass player that you're responsible for. And really, it's the two main things that everybody in the band is responsible for at all times. But these two really... You really rely on the bass player for it, especially in different settings like the jazz setting. This is more important than any other thing. The first one is you're responsible for harmony, and the second one is time. Everybody is responsible for harmony, of course. You have the guitar player playing their chords. You have the piano player playing chords. The singers singing the notes in the right key, hopefully. Uh, The soloist is playing. Yeah, right? Um, So everybody is responsible for harmony because that's what makes music itself, but... The bass player's job of harmony is a little bit different because it doesn't sound great all the in every context to play a full chord bass. Uh, mm-hmm. The right setting, it's pretty cool, but normally you want to leave that to everybody else in the group. Like if um, we're playing something and Matt is playing like an E power chord, if I play an E power chord as well at the same time, it's going to sound like muddy mess. Also, the uh, pain in Spencer's heart would be a mighty mess if I was playing power chords. <laughs> yeah, I guess it depends on the setting. Maybe. Some settings it works pretty well. Like I've played Maybe. at a church this past Saturday, and uh, well, that's true. I've played at a church this past Saturday, and one of the tunes basically you had to play power chords for it to sound right. It was. <laughs> It was actually pretty cool, though. It was like, it was a pretty heavy sound, but it was had a really driving rhythm. After a while, the rhythm kind of got a little bit boring because it was yeah, re- yeah. so repetitive. But it was it was pretty epic for that point in the set. You know what I mean? I just though power chords can be fun if like you have a lot of uh, effects on or something like that. If you're playing a on electric if i'm playing my eastman with power chords though like there's something that breaks inside of my soul every time yeah the eastman he's got is an arch top so the hollow body on that doesn't work well for power just seems like time's being wasted when you're doing that yeah it just doesn't quite fit everything else very well it's because it's got such a sweet pretty sound when you try to distort it and make it heavy it just doesn't sound great remember the last time i i threw distortion on when playing that guitar just for the heck of it did you get feedback (laughs) um usually yeah it's just uh if you put in heavy gain then yeah uh, immediately it feeds back but i mean obviously but i had the same problem with like when i uh had a ivan as art core and would turn something on with that that also would get feedback so i was kind of used to the settings you'd need to be able to turn it on but even so i don't think i ever performed with uh the eastman having distortion or something like that on i think right. the most i would put the, is maybe a bit of chorus right the art chord so everybody knows is also a semi-hollow guitar like the eastman is except hollow the body. eastman is a yeah the hollow body the eastman though is the carved top instead of the pressed plywood 
so it vi- it resonates a lot better. You get a lot prettier sound out of it. Hmm. Plus, it's yeah. The semi hollows are basically all of my other guitars, and all of them yeah, do yeah. fine with with a with an overdrive. That's yeah, why you cool. kind of want a semi hollow, unless you're going for a specifically the jazz kind of sound um yeah, or you want a guitar tone. that can serve as an acoustic as well because i use my uh my eastman in teaching lessons because it works as an acoustic and it's much more comfortable right that's true it does have that option for you anywho off of our uh, my pretty instrument and on to yours so basically what the bass player is going to do instead of playing your full chord is you're going to outline the chord the most obvious example of that is in jazz where you're playing the walking bass line. So like if you're in the key of C, you're playing over a C major seven chord, you're not going to play C, E, G, and B at the same time on the bass because it, it can sound good, but only in the right context. So typically what you're going to do is you're going to walk it up. So play C, E, G, B. And if your next chord is an A minor, you're going to drop down to A, you know, and so you're going to outline the chord and uh, make everything... Yeah, basically you're showing everybody where it is without ever playing the whole thing at once. Um, it creates a really nice texture for everybody else to kind of lean into because they don't have to play the chord the entire time. Uh, like Matt, I'm sure you probably feel this way. When you're playing jazz, it's not good to just play the chord and let it ring for all four minutes. No, not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So, I was literally teaching a student about that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it, that that goes for other styles too like as a guitar player like you don't really want to just let everything ring all the time sometimes right. it's fine but if all you're doing is fretting everything and letting everything you play ring out until you hit the next thing that's not it's going to be sloppy right it's not rhythmically interesting but right. then at the same time if your bass player is only playing you know just playing one note and letting it ring the whole time and never adding any interest to it, sometimes it's hard not to do because mm-hmm. then it feels empty. Yeah. Um, but it depends on the type of music you're playing, of course, too. Like uh, if you're playing in a rock setting or a church setting or something like that, you don't necessarily, you don't really want to be changing notes every, every beat or every note you hit either. You have to create right. some, uh, you're still outlining the harmony because you're still playing your root note or your third or fifth or something like that, but you're, um, or your inverted note, whatever it is. But you're not, um, it, it's not the same approach to it. So right. you're still serving the same function, just in a slightly different way. Instead, your focus more is on your rhythmic and your timekeeping skills in that situation than your harmony. But by playing that root note at the bottom, you're creating a foundation for every chord to sit on top of. So it just kind of builds like a pyramid up from there. When you play your walking lines, you will pretty much always aim to hit the root note or if it's an inverted chord that bottom note when that chord yeah at know, some point in it, it, um when i'm playing it depends on the setting you know if i'm playing more of a bebop setting or something like that it's not always the first note i hit sometimes okay. i'll purposely invert the chord to get a different sound depending on who i'm playing with mm-hmm. um but like if i'm playing a hard bop setting or like a smoother sort of jazz where it's not as abstract the root note is my ideal landing point. And I always try to get to it from a half step or a whole step below. Either go a half step below, a half step above, or a whole step below or above to make it as smooth as possible. 
Now, when I uh, was taking lessons on bass, uh, another part of that, usually, of course, like you said, aim for the landing note to be the mm-hmm. bottom note, but then uh, the third beat of the measure to aim for that to be a, uh, a chord tone as well, but the second and fourth, more likely a passing tone, or it could be another chord tone, but the one and the three, or the first and third beat are the most important for chord tone. I mean, do you do that? Typically, yeah. Depends on what I'm playing. So this is where learning arpeggios and your scales is so vital as a bass player. Um, Obviously, it's important for every instrument, but as a bass player, if you don't know your arpeggios and you don't know your what the difference is between your arpeggio and your scale tones versus your passing tones you're gonna have a really rough time with this so Mm -hmm. your typical chord is going to be your one three five and in the jazz world you'd have a seven on top normally um seven yeah i mean sometimes you don't but almost all almost like probably 99 percent of the time you're gonna have a seven in there or someone Uh, is going to play a seven no matter what it says yeah, and me as a bass player, if it doesn't say a seven in there, a lot of times I throw it in as, and I use it as more of a passing tone in that situation. I don't hang on the seven. Yeah, exactly. But as a bass player, you never really want to sit on the seven and leave it there. It's yeah, just going to yeah, sound yeah. a little. It's going to be too dissonant because that seven is only a, is either a half step or a whole step away from your root note. So it's not. It's going to be kind of crunchy sounding if you let it sit on there. Um, Not to mention but, someone else is probably playing the root on the bottom of their end, be it the piano right. player or the guitar player. And if you hit that note, that's going to be a weird interval. Yeah, one of those two guys is pretty much always going to be sitting on the root note. Um, doesn't mean they should, but a lot of yeah, times they do. Exactly. It doesn't mean they should. Like I know, Matt, a lot of times you like to play stuff that's not doesn't even have the root note in it. You'll play a three, five, and a seven or something like that instead of the one just playing mm-hmm. on the top three strings which is a lot of fun as a bass player to hear that because then you don't have to, then it frees you up a little bit to kind of emphasize different notes a little bit more. And then it changes your, your whole harmonic structure. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, everything sounds a lot more refreshing when you do stuff like that. But so if you know your chord tones, they're one, three, five, seven, then you know the other notes in the scale, two, four, and six are your passing tones. So what I typically like to do, like if I'm walking through... If the chord progression goes from a C to a G, so a 1 to a 5, in C, your chord tones are C, E, G, and B. In G, they're G, B, D, and F. So a lot of times what I'll do, I'll walk, just walk straight up the scale. So C, D, E, so B3 would be your chord tone. F mm-hmm. as a passing tone, because um, you don't want to hang on that F, but now you're just walking up a whole step straight to your G. So you have a smooth road. I like to think about it as uh, connecting the dots. It's just yeah. smooth shaping. You're moving up. Because you want to make it as smooth as possible. Um, and the reason you're doing that is because the whole time you're outlining the chords. So if you listen to a good bass player play, you can figure out where you are in the song. You can know where exactly where you are in the form without ever hearing a chordal player play a chord. Right. Makes a big difference. I don't know about you, Matt, but I know a lot of players that when they're soloing, they listen down to where the bass player's at in the harmony to figure out where they're at in the in the uh, in the form, 
because a lot of times the piano player, the guitar player that's comping isn't going to play on beat one of every measure. Yeah. Yeah. Usually that is what I'm listening for is, uh, is the bass line. And if, if I have issues hearing that, then I have to think about the melody most of the time, what I'm playing just because it, if I can't hear that bass line, then everyone else might be playing something a little more complex or syncopated, like you said. So um, it's ideal when you're performing to be able to hear the bass player so that you don't have that issue because he's laying, he or she is laying such a foundation that you really need that. And um, hopefully they're loud enough that if you can't hear it, then you can feel it. Um, right. One thing that's really helpful with a bass is sometimes you can just feel it in your feet or feel it on your instrument and you don't necessarily have to hear it with your ears. So sometimes you can be able to pull the Beethoven and just feel it out. <laughs> right, of course. Well, and that brings up a good point too. You're talking about the melody. If the bass the bass player needs to know the melody through and through. Because then you can throw in the melody into your walking lines and it sounds oh so good. It's like you have these two abstract things that don't really go together. You got your melody, which, you know, is like in Fly Me to the Moon, you know, your It's like you're playing through the chord tones, but not really in that because it's top of everything else. But your bass player, if he's any good, well, I shouldn't say if he's any good, if he's thinking about it and wants to outline it the right way, either during the melody or even through the solo section, can just play a lick of the melody right through there. Um, and then it's going to outline the chord beautifully. And then everybody knows exactly where you are. As soon as you do that one little thing there, like uh, fly me to the moon, the first, you know, you're playing over the a minor chord and you've got the CBA is your first couple notes in the melody. If you walk down that, you know, you're going to connect the dots in such a way that everybody knows exactly where you are. If anybody in the band misses it, then they're clearly just not paying attention. And so when I'm playing like that, my goal is to make it so obvious where I am to my band members without being cheesy that Mm -hmm. it makes it easy on everybody else. Yeah. It's giving that supporting role to everyone else that makes them sound better while also making you sound really good. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, in my opinion, the master of doing this is Ray Brown. You can't get a whole lot better than the way he outlines those chords and the way he connects the dots. But he keeps it so interesting with um, playing some of the extra rhythms or some of the passing tones that aren't necessarily four beats to a measure. Little triplet things here and there. Or going and then popping up the octave and then you go back down or something like that. Um, You can't jump around too much from the bottom to the top of the neck. You want to connect it and make it as smooth as possible. But... You know, some doing pedal that, tones once in a while. Throwing the pedal tones, that's a great one right there, especially in like blues. Uh, man, it's really effective blues, and uh, really easy. It's I mean, so good. For like, those that don't understand that, why don't you explain what that actually means? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what a what a pedal tone is, is that is playing the same root note while the chords change over top of it. So like your blues form you go from a one chord to a four chord. So if um, the blues is basically 12 measures repeated. So if you're in the key of C, you're going to have a C7 for four measures. Then you have an F7 for two, then back to a C7 for two. 
then you'll do G7. If you're a rock blues, you'll G, do G7, then F7, then C7, then G7. And then it's just a cycle. It just repeats just like that. But one yeah. of the coolest things to do is just to hang on that C, just to hit it boom, 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 and hit it on two and four, and just hold that out for all 12 bars. The harmonies are changing on top of it, but you get this just super solid, cool foundation that it's there's nothing really quite like it. Uh, and it's I, really it's, a, like an upbeat hit too when you hear exactly. that. So if, um, like you said, on the two and four, or if um, two and four, yeah, yeah, and it's it's something that comes in. It really changes everything. Now you don't want to do that for too long. Like you just kind of it builds up a lot of tension, and then you have to make sure to release it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, keep it simple and smooth, and just hold it for a little bit, and then hop right back into it, um, right back into the same tempo. I wouldn't say like use that to then go doubleheim or something like that i guess you could if you wanted to but it's kind yeah. of a way to just throw a bone in there for uh messing things around uh i feel like it works best in my opinion when the uh whoever is playing rather a solo or the melody if their uh stuff is like a a little bit busy or like quicker lines like most blues music is very simple um melodies that hang for a little while they give a lot of space but if it's busier it's kind of cool to have that really simple um pedal tone underneath it while something a little busier is happening in the higher register and it really highlights and builds the tension so much more so that by the end of it usually a soloist will if he's got any chops at all will pick up on that and take advantage of the tension leading into the release um, yeah, or whoever's comping too. Hmm. You'll end yeah, up with exactly. all sorts of really interesting stuff. Hopefully, like, the bass or uh, not the bass player, the uh, the drummer will use his bass drum on the the same beat as the pedal tone. Yeah, and, and maybe a cymbal crash or something like that, just to emphasize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what that does is it just it. First of all, like Matt said, it creates a ton of tension. And music is all about tension and release. It's not interesting to listen to unless you've built to a point and then let it just go, you know. So it builds all that tension, and then when it releases, it just feels good. But it also frees everybody else up in the band to be more creative. Exactly. Because when the bass player is playing one note, I know the harmony is changing like normal over top of it, but man, you can really you can go really far outside the key if you want to and bring it right back in, and it's going to just feel good because you're not gonna have any clashing notes you know the bass player is not gonna get in your way if you pedal them huh? yeah. <laughs> pretty straightforward there it's pretty awesome now for like a a little bit of a switch up because that's mostly in uh swing cells and and hard mm-hmm. bop and uh things like that so how do you approach um if you're playing a latin tune which you would not use a walking line and unless it has a swing section like night in Tunisia or something. But right. um, I know that some of those tunes that we used to play that were in the Latin style or the bebop Latin, um, it would have like an actual written out line. Like night in Tunisia has its uh, written baseline that you use, right. but other tunes like uh, I'm trying to think of one that doesn't have an actual 
Like if we played right. Yesterday's or Black Orpheus, those didn't mm-hmm. have a specific baseline that you used. So what would you right. do in those cases to fil- fulfill your role in a Latin beat? Well, even Night in Tunisia, like that written all and ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba-da-da-da, all that is is the chord tones. You know, yes. one, three, or one, five, seven, one. Yeah, you know, you're, you're outlining the chords perfectly in that. So even in the pre-written lines, you're doing that perfectly. Um, but in your typical tune, so like we'll take Black Orpheus for example. Um, your the way we always started out as an intro was we would take that A minor seven, um, and then we do the we do a B flat minor seven flat five to an E seven. You just loop the first four bars over and over again to set everything up. And so your your strongest beats or your strongest um harmony notes in your latin tunes are going to be your one and five those are the strongest ones so the boom 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 i mean everybody's heard that a hundred times whether it's latin or a rock tune or if it's uh bluegrass you know you hear the one and the five outline um, those are boom, your boom boom <laughs> if you like it to waltz with oh my tomatoes. gosh <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's that's the one in the five right there. I mean that's your baseline, mm-hmm. and it it sets such a it sets a really solid foundation because Latin music is more intricate in your melodies, so you can't be too busy on the bottom, otherwise you're going to clash with what the mel- what the melody or the soloist is doing, and right. it's a lot more rhythmically intense from your from your drummer and from your horn players. So you have to set up a foundation as a bass player that's going to be really solid, but not so busy that it's going to take away from anything else. So your one and your five are your main ones. Um, I typically stick to those for the majority of what I'm doing and really only change up the, um, the rhythm of it to try to uh, hit on different things. Like if I hear the drummer playing a rhythm, I'll try to match that or you know whatever. Um, but you still want to take advantage of using your other chord tones, like your, your three and your seven. So it just depends on where you're at in the in the tune where how your band is playing um you know like uh if you've got a drummer that likes to change things up on you every now and then you're going to end up having to throw some more chord tones in <laughs> do something a little bit different to change it up but yeah you, typically your one and your five are going to be your strong notes and you're going to play them on beats one and three because those are your strong beats in Really, they're the strong beats in anything, but uh, especially in a Latin tune, one and three are where you're going to hit your the majority of your chord tones. Right. Um, is there any point with playing with Latin stuff that uh, when you're figuring out your bass line, are you thinking about a clave beat at all? Or do you think that really is more on the drummer's role? Um, you know, I... I try to feel where the clave was going to be, right? But I don't really try to hit the rhythms of the clave. Um, oh yeah, I mean, most of the time I'd say don't hit the clave beat, but feel yeah. it. So it's there, but you don't necessarily use it. I don't. I don't think that would really fit the bass player's role anyway. I was just curious. Yeah, it's um, that's definitely more of a percussion thing to have that driving force behind it. You, you want to know where the clave is and where you'd be feeling it. Um, for everybody that doesn't know, a clave is a Latin, well, it's basically a rhythm that you feel a lot of in Latin music. So you'd have bop, 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 bop. That's your 3-2 clave. 
or you'd have a two, three, bat, 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 bat. And um, that basically is it's going to be behind pretty much all Latin music that you listen to. It's going to be somewhere in the tune, um, but it's mostly going to be in the in the by the percussionist. Um, and so it's just something that you'll feel rather than specifically try to play. Usually, you can um, you can hear it in tunes that have like a Latin influence. That uh, you'll hear a clicking sound, which is the actual instrument called a clave, and right. it has that dat 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 or dat 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 it's the basic foundation for all those Latin rhythms that, uh, Mm -hmm. like Tommy said, it's mostly the percussion player that is really feeling that out. But for me as a guitar player and I'm sure piano players as well, it, it lends to our comping rhythms a little bit more for how we accompany a Latin tune, but, um, it's still good for a bass player to have knowledge of that and what's happening. And I guess it helps, you know, uh, like the the foundation underneath things that won't catch you off guard if someone is playing some really complex syncopation because they're feeling um, like a reverse clave or something like that, where um, they might have some odd rhythms that you might be like, what are they doing? But I know as a bass <laughs> player, like you you have to be so founded in one, three one three uh that it's kind of tricky to get intimidated right. in those in those cases because your role is so set in stone of what you've got to do but i know that sometimes i've heard somebody play a, like maybe when we were playing with rob i'm sure there are times he'd play something that i just be like whoa i'm not going to get in the way of that or um right of course or something else uh or times that I'd try something that would throw people off. Because occasionally, when we were playing Latin, I'd throw in uh, a little bit of a flamenco beat, the on, and um, sometimes that would work. Sometimes, unfortunately, my like my gain would be too loud or something, and it would be overwhelming. Um, Spencer always liked that I did that, but sometimes he'd tell me uh, to turn down if I was about to do that, just because. Um, if I hit it a little bit too hard, it would scare it's a more percussive crap sound. out of people. Yeah. It's a very percussive sound to do that. Very much so. Yeah. And you know, Latin music is very percussion driven and very rhythmically. It's not as harmonically driven, not to say that it doesn't have incredibly interesting harmonic features because it does. I mean, there's some really fascinating stuff in there, but if you're not um, thinking rhythmically, you'll miss out on the feel and the groove of it. Yeah, you'll you'll miss the whole point of the music. Um, there's one other. Won't add any flavor if you don't use interesting rhythms. Whereas at, in swing, it's the feel of swing that you're going for. Where Latin, it's let's play around with Latin. <laughs> right. Definitely. Of course. Um. I, yeah, can you think of anything else harmonically speaking that we need to touch on for bass players? I think we co- pretty much covered it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that we'll talk more about harmony and like how to use more advanced extension stuff at some point, but I mean, yeah. And just to recap, so you want to keep yourself to the chord tones a lot of the time, if not, you know, the majority of the time you want to be on the chord tones, so you have to know your arpeggios. 
and you have to know your passing tones, know the differences, so that way you can know when to use uh, passing tones. Oh, and chromatic notes, forgot about that. You have to know when to use chromatic notes that are outside of the key. Um, Those are a lot of fun to use, but you can only, you have to use them tastefully and in the right position. So unless you know for sure that it's going to sound good, stay away from them. Just stick to your chord tones and the occasional passing tone. I guess the one thing that we didn't really mention is, of course, your root note is really important for landing sake. But Mm -hmm. I, I do remember that one of the things I keep most importantly when I'm playing bass is that. Um, actually with most instruments, is that the three and the seven are the most important to the point that unless you're in Latin, the five is almost obsolete. You don't really need it, but yeah, you like definitely you... want the three and the seven because those are the definitive, the definitive notes in the chords uh, structure for its quality. So if you don't hit right. the three and your line didn't define if it was major or minor. If you don't That's hit the true. seven, then you don't define if it was dominant or a major seven. Um, not true. that you That's have to hit that seven, but if you if you do hit that seven, then make sure it's the right seven. <laughs> it better be right. That's the truth. And if it um, has a sharp nine in that key, you better not play a nine. You better play the sharp nine, because otherwise it will flash. Someone so, is probably playing the sharp nine correctly, and if you don't hit it, then that's a that's a weird clash. Hopefully, they're not playing the sharp nine down in your register. But yeah, but if you do, if you play a nine and there's a sharp nine in the chord, you'll end up with a nine, a sharp nine, and a three all next to each other. That's that's bad. Don't that's do that. nice to me. Very cold trainy. <laughs> yeah, right. Very cold trainy. I guess it depends on the situation, but typically, you yeah, don't you, want that. Yeah, and you need to be very aware of what your chord symbols mean. You need to know the difference between a major seven and a dominant seven. Um, major and minor, of course. You need to know what your augmented chords are. Um, Minished. Right, so we'll go into another... Uh, we'll take another episode and we'll just go what your chords are, your different chord tones and everything, because if you don't know that, you're you're not going to get very far as a bass player because it's... You have to you have to outline the chord, and you have to play the right notes for it. You you shouldn't play a regular five and an augmented fifth chord. It's going to sound really bad. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we'll to be aware. That's, no, that's one thing. Definitely, that's one thing I struggled with when I started playing jazz. Is I kept playing if it said flat nine or if it sh- said sharp nine, I kept playing the nine as a passing tone, thinking, oh, it's a passing tone, it's fine. But I kept forgetting, wait, it's not a passing tone in this chord. It's actually a chord tone, and I'm playing it a half step away from where it should be. Right, right. So once I got that drilled into me enough times, then I finally fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the only other thing on that part of the topic is when you are playing those walking lines, do you uh, think about it as like the scale of the key that you're in, or do you think and the structure of each chord that you're playing over? Because mm-hmm. usually when I'm playing, I mean, I don't play jazz enough for it to get complex enough for me to need otherwise, but when I play bass, I'm usually just playing in the scale of the key. Now, of course, I only ever really play in church right now, um, so I can get away with that without having to think at all because if I played any more than what I'm playing, it would be way too busy for that context. But right. um, I don't know if in a walking baseline setting, if you are like 
changing your thought process constantly depending on what chords you're playing over or if you're uh say you're in a blues and you're playing that 12 bar and it's a c blues are you thinking that it's a right c dominant the whole time or what it depends on the tune of course um in a blues situation since you said that specifically it's I'm not really thinking about the key of C, if it's a C blues. The reason is because you have the B flat in the key of C, or in that C7 chord, so you're not really right. playing in the key of C. You kind of are. Really an F. But everything's being tonicized. So in that situation, I'm thinking about based off the chord that I'm in. Because your dominant 7 chord is one of the strongest sounds you're going to have as far as trying to pull toward a resolution. Okay. So... In that situation, I'll stick with that chord. So C7, I'm going to play C, E, G, B flat. I'm not really going to worry a whole lot about everything else. Um, it, but it, it really depends on where you are and how the chords are being called and what the melody is. So like, um, if the melody has a, um, a major 6 in it, so let's say you're in the key of... Um, well, not a major six. If your your melody has the major seven in it, so you're in the key of C and your melody has a B in there, and then it goes to a D minor chord, I'm going to play over the Dorian scale, which is basically staying in the key of C with all my notes, but outlining the D chord tones. So what that difference is, so uh, we'll do another lesson about modes, so we'll go more in detail, but your, your um, Dorian mode is going to be your minor scale, so one, two, flat, three, four, five, but then instead of being a flat six, it's going to be a regular six, um, flat seven, one. So that regular six in the D Dorian scale is a B natural. B natural is your major seven of your C chord. So because it's in the melody, I'm going to play a B natural in the walking bass line. But if the melody had a B flat, then I'm going to play your natural minor mode over that instead of your uh, Dorian minor. So it really depends on the tune. Uh, typically, you want to stick to the key signature pretty closely. Um, and that way, you're going to hit your flat nines, your sharp nines, all that stuff in the right spot. Like if you've got a three chord and it's just a regular three minor seven chord, go ahead and play the flat nine in that, which in the key of C would be your F, because F is in the key of C. So it it depends on the chord. It depends on the situation and the melody. but. I'd say typically I stick to the key signature pretty closely. Alrighty. It just depends though. <laughs> and it depends on who you're playing with. Cause if you're playing with the right guys, like if you hear your piano player play that B flat over your D D uh, Dorian chord, well shoot, you better not play that B natural. <laughs> <laughs> you better try to play that B flat or to, if you know, you messed it up, play chromatic notes, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. play, play your half steps in there, make it sound like you did it on purpose. That's how I always do it. <laughs> yeah. Makes so, a big difference. I guess the next thing that we can talk about with uh, the bass role is when you're in like a soloist context, when you're the lead instrument, whether mm-hmm. it's playing a solo or you're playing arrangements like Marcus Miller, Victor Wooten style, where you're the lead instrument and, Right. What what uh, approach you take in that context, uh, as opposed to the typical supporting role that um, the bass serves? Because right. usually, when you're in lead, uh, 
if it's a Marcus Miller situation, then you have a base player underneath you as the base player uh, right. who is serving that supporting role. But then you are playing a lead base part, um, which I, I hate using the the lead rhythm uh, role thing for both bass, guitar, or anything. But, um, you know, contextually, I guess it makes sense for identifying what spot you're in. It's just... Yeah, every instrument um, can serve as ev- everything at any point, and there's not a specific role that we get, which is one thing we want to highlight soon. But go ahead right. and talk a little bit about soloing. So when you're soloing, it, it depends on the, the genre of music and everything, but um, you want to think just like a horn player. You want to play melodies that a horn player would play, um, and you want to move across the strings, move up and down the fingerboard and stretch your harmonic distances, your intervals. You you don't want to just play whole steps and half steps the whole time. You don't want to be like jumping all over the place either. But uh, so it really depends. Like if um, you're playing through, uh, say, Have You Met Miss Jones, for example, you know, you have some really interesting harmonic stuff going on that's not too complicated. But you want to you want to outline that so it sounds like you're playing the changes. That way, you sound like you know what you're doing. Which if you're ba- if you're a bass player, you really you should be able to play the changes. That shouldn't be a problem for you. It's right. just picking your melodies and having good quality melodies. That's going to be the hardest part. Um, biggest thing I can recommend for that is just do a lot of listening. Listen to a lot of horn players. Listen to guitar players. Listen to other bass players, and kind of try to mimic what they do. Because if you don't do that and you're just focused on your uh, your typical one three five seven nine, you know, it's going to be pretty boring. So, and then you got to learn to play. This is where it gets really fun: is playing outside of the key and then bringing it back in. You're not going to do that as much as a bass player. Um, there's one tune I really like to do that on. It's called "Scrapple from the Apple," which is by Charlie Parker. The the bridge for that tune goes a7 to d7 to g7 to c7 so i think it's really fun to superimpose your um your tritone substitutions on that so Mm -hmm. i'll play over a7 and then i'll play over a flat 7 then i'll play over g7 then play over g flat 7 then go back to the key of f because f is the key that it starts out in so you know depending on the situation who you're playing with you can experiment more but you're, again, you're going to want to stay with your chord tones quite often. Just you don't have to stay glued to them. Um, right. You can go outside of the key, but always make sure you come back strongly. Uh, if you're the supporting role with another bass player playing, just make sure you stay out of their way. Because um, you should know your chord tones. You should know where you're at. But you should know where the other player likes to play as well. Right. Um, and like, let's say you're just a lead man, you're the front guy for the group, like uh, Marcus Miller. Of a, they have those two guys in particular have very different playing styles. If you listen to Marcus mm-hmm. Miller's melodies, most of them are based off of a groove. So, yeah, uh, yeah very groove based. Exactly. So they're melodic and they're very interesting. And to me, they, they just captivate me. I can sit there and listen to them all. Day. But he also he outlines the chords the whole time. So there's nothing that that is crazy about that it's he's still outlining the chords still keeping it rhythmically in a groove so but harmonically he's not pushing it outside of the boundaries too much because he's playing a main melody 
Victor Wooten's a little bit different. His is he's groove based, but when he's playing melodies, he does push it outside of the box a little bit more than Mark. Like Miller a lot does. of his stuff is, um, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but it's almost like his stuff is technique based sometimes. Um, a lot of times it is with Victor Wooten, which I mean, if I had his technique, everything I did would be technique too. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it seems like uh, I think. Uh, Oh no, it's not. Oh, oh Victor Bailey. Um, mm-hmm. I was about to say Stanley Clark, but I remembered. Um, some of his stuff is very experimental. There's one song that uh, I listen to when I'm running. I think it's I think it's called Ape School, and it's really weird. It's really out there, and it's I, I think he uses loops and it's like layered tracks of his baseline, a lot of different effects. But right. it's almost a track that is completely built around uh, different technique approaches, uh, including the the effects that are being put on there. Um, there's slapping. Uh, I don't remember if he does like any double thumping or something like that, but it definitely seems like it's more of a less melodic, more of a skill display. It's really fun, but um, I, I'm failing to yeah. really put it into proper words where it's like, uh, it's less of a song, more of a demo in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it's a proving ground sort of a thing. Like if you want to learn that song, you're going to have to work hard to get it. Whereas if you want to learn a Marcus Miller song, um, not to say that they aren't complex and difficult sometimes, but um, you're setting out on more of a normal, just learn the melody and play the tune instead of a master this complicated ability to get this music to form. That's why for my senior recital, I played played a Marcus Miller tune and then I played a tune by Aaron Petrosian. and the Arm Bedrosian tune was called A Dark Light. That one is a very technique-driven tune. You have to be able to master all parts of the fingerboard to be able to play that successfully. Right. Uh, the Marcus Miller one I played was Jekyll and Hyde. It's all about nuance. So there's mm-hmm. so many small things that he does in there that if you're not listening closely, they'll just sound normal to you. You won't notice it. And then until you try to replicate it and you play it and you're like, it just doesn't sound right. What, what sounds different about this? And you realize, oh, it's well, he did this here. He kind of scooped into this note or he, you know, he played, he accented the upbeat this time instead of the downbeat. Just super, super little things like that make a huge difference. It's, uh-huh. it's amazing. Um, one guy we didn't talk about too that you can't really talk about bass and soloing and harmony without talking about him is Jaco. Jaco Pastorius. Oh, yeah, really? Um, <laughs> He is known for his flying 16th notes, and he's known for hitting, for outlining those chords so much that if you don't know what the chord, if you can't tell where the chord is and what the chord tones are as a band member, you just, yeah, you, you probably Boss should find talks. another job. Yeah. How did I mean, you get on stage with Jocko? <laughs> yeah, right. He is just known for that. But then he, when he played his solos, he, he went so far outside the box sometimes, and it was so fascinating. He would do his harmonics, his uh, fretless slides, stuff like that. And he would do all sorts of, he did a lot of interesting effects. He really liked having like a chorus effect going on through some of his solo albums. Uh, 
but he was, uh, he's another one of those guys. If you just have to listen to him to really get to experience, like, I can't even describe to you well enough what he did. You just have to listen. <laughs> he had a very, very good sense of groove, even when he was playing more melodic stuff. Um, exactly. Like, uh, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it's uh, Teen Town on a by weather report mm-hmm. where his line in that I, I wasn't sure if it was a, um, I guess you could say pre-planned, but like a composed melody uh, for what he was playing or if he was improvising, but on the same album, at least on Spotify, there's a live version of it where he does play basically the same thing. Like a little bit of the noodling is different, but uh, which I kind of expected that, but the basic, uh, contour of it and the majority of the notes he plays exactly the same way that it was on the recording um in the album which is really impressive because for one it sounds like it's really really difficult but um it's also just oddly catchy for something that has so many notes where uh, mm-hmm. i'm i'm really used to listening to uh stuff where be it Steve Vai or some of those other big guitar guys that they can play at the speed of sound and uh, no pun intended um, and have lightning fast technique and they can fill up a stadium with a bajillion notes in a second and blow your face off with how um, incredible it seems like it is. But in my humble little opinion a lot of the time their stuff isn't very memorable like i couldn't right. i couldn't hum a steve by tune if you were gonna take out my family and me over it uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I couldn't even remember the weird ones like uh there's a song bad horsey where he uses a a wah pedal that ended up getting a wah pedal called bad horsey over it and um which that one's super weird but still uh and I have nothing against those guys like Satriani or uh, Malmsteen, all those, like their music is really cool. But compared to uh, the things that Jocko did where there's a ton of notes, but every time I listen to it, I remember what he's playing. Like, I feel like I could learn it because it's so memorable. Right. Um, and that's really impressive to me to be able to have that many notes in a way that is actually catchy. And uh, so it's technically impressive, but also, musically memorable and creative and uh that's something that i would aspire to just because if you listen to coltrane or sometimes charlie parker and they play a ton sometimes it's a little bit too much and there's not as much creative soul in there as it is a display of uh ability um right which i can appreciate and with with those guys you can you can hear the heart in their playing and it it makes it so much easier to listen to it's not like a show-off that's just being a jerk and arrogant that can play really fast it's more of that the uh the results when you hear it back you're like i i don't i don't know what it oh my gosh it was so hard how i'm done i throw everything away just kill me but uh right when you hear Jocko's stuff and you hear those quick little there's something about that that's really memorable and really catchy and I don't know the magic of it and I'm not going to claim to act like it but it's really cool I think what he did is he just tried to he played things that you could sing along to so I mean if you can't sing along to a song you're not going to remember what it is 
the the melody if the melody is too complex to sing to it's not interesting just mm-hmm. like jazz stopped being popular because it got so complex you couldn't sing along to it and you couldn't dance to it because rhythmically it was all over the place yeah so the boundary like people, got pushed too far yeah exactly you, you can only push the envelope so far before people can't really because i mean what do people like to do they like to dance and they like to sing you know, people sit in their car and they sing and then they almost crash them because they're dancing while they're trying to drive. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I had someone almost hit me the other night. I was pretty irritated with him because he was singing along to something. And he's dancing around in his car. I was watching him. I'm like, this guy's coming into my lane. I guarantee it. Next thing I know, he was in my lane. He was right next to me. I was really irritated. But that's besides <laughs> the point. Um, what, Jocko, he made his music. you could sing along to it i mean it was the melodies were complex but they weren't so crazy out there that you couldn't do it couldn't sing to it and that's one thing you can attribute to a lot of playing inside the key signature so he did push the envelope and he did play outside the key but you can't play outside of the key for you know four straight measures and expect people to be able to sing along and find it to be memorable Mm -hmm. um like, look at Miles Davis. I mean, like on the solo and so what? He left so much space in there. And that solo, you could, I mean, that's such an easy solo to just sit there and go, ah, you know, and sing along to. And that's, I mean, as a bass player, when you're soloing, you really got to think about those things. Otherwise, it's going to be not interesting, not memorable. You're going to end up with stuff that your band is not going to appreciate. Um, you gotta be tasteful in everything you do, whether it's a rock context where you're playing mostly your root notes and then playing the occasional fill. If it's not tasteful and if it's button heads with the vocalist, you're gonna get fired. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all about what people can sing along to. That's how you make the money. If the bass player is stepping on the toes of everybody else, it's it's not gonna go well. Plain and simple. So in a harmonic setting, you know, when you think about your role as a harmonic instrument. You are a chordal instrument as a bass player, no matter what people tell you. Even though you're playing one at a time, one note at a time, you are a chordal player. You are right. playing the chords, just not all at once. And you know, it's I've had people tell me it's like, oh, the bass isn't a, it's more of a rhythmic instrument. It depends on how you <laughs> use it. It can be yeah. more of a rhythmic instrument, but in my opinion, it's a harmonic instrument first, just like every other instrument that's out there, other than percussion. It right. would be a harmonic-driven instrument. So learn your chord tones, learn your arpeggios, know what the difference is to your passing notes, learn your chord symbols. Um, we'll help out with some of that. We'll give more lessons into detail about that stuff. But those are your key things as a bass player to be harmonically interesting and to be supportive. Um, you know, if you're playing outside the key on your walking bass line while somebody's trying to solo, it's going to throw everybody off. So you have to know where you are. Otherwise, you know, you... you it, Nothing's done in a vacuum. You, it might sound good to you at that moment, and you might resolve it right, but it doesn't necessarily fit. So you got to open up your ears and listen. You're not going to be a good harmonic player unless you listen to everything else around you. You're not going to really fit in with the rhythms. If uh, it, it would be odd, but if the drummer decides that uh, they want you to play pedal tone and you don't catch it. I, I don't know how that would necessarily happen, but usually it's the other way around. But if that would happen or uh, the piano player tries it or something and you're just not paying attention, you're in your own little world, like you're killing the magic at that point. Like the, uh, the stuff that happens on stage that's impressive is listening to each other. Exactly. Music is all about communicating with other people. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it's there's nothing like it. I, it's, it's, I mean, I can't really even describe the feeling of sitting up there. I mean, when you're standing on stage and you're playing a walking bass line, and you got a piano player that's comping, and you have a bass, you have a drummer that's just keeping a steady groove, and you've got your guitar player playing some really sweet melody on top of it. There's not a better feeling in the world. There really isn't. I can't think of anything I like more than that. And it's, I think it's if you. Uh, Go ahead. I think I think it's like a similar feeling to when um when I'm comping in swing and have that uh that classic chonk 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 that Freddie Green style yeah the Freddie Green uh classic swing uh that it's it's perfectly in the pocket you can't hit it on the beat it's got to come right after and if you get yep. it and you're just sitting in that sweet spot where it just feels perfect it's one of the best feelings. Uh, of any instrument that I've played. And like, I love playing melodies. I love soloing. I love those magical moments. But few things are better than just sitting there perfectly, like giving in a bunch of chord subs and having uh, my voicings move all around while that beat is just right there where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And the bass player is, walk- is just locked in with a perfect walking line. And the drummer isn't being too busy or doesn't turn the beat around. Pray to the <laughs> God. Uh, um, uh, but, that's never fun. No way. But, Turning um, the beat around basically is just instead of accenting two and four with their hi hat like they're supposed to, suddenly you have the accent on one and three, and then it feels square and uneven, and nobody knows what's going on anymore. That's what. Uh, that's the feeling that happens when the crowd starts clapping on one and three. It's that mm-hmm. that thing. That's exactly yeah, that why you get that bit of happening. cringe. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. It's. Yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Um, and harmony is your foundation for that. All right, so that's about all the time we have left to talk about harmony for this week. What we'll do is we'll finish talking about the role of the bass player next week, and we'll talk about how time is your second major thing you got to do as a bass player. Um, but we want to close it out by talking about a few listening suggestions we've got for you because listening is like the most important thing for jazz. Um, my recommendation of the week would be to listen to the album Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. That's great for so many reasons, but especially if you're wanting to listen to good harmonic bass playing, um, that record has everything you could ever imagine in it from the bass playing to the melodies. It's just so solid and perfect. I mean, you, you can learn, you could teach a whole four years of jazz studies classes just off that record. So listen yeah. to it. And it, uh, it, if you're not a bass player and you just want to um, listen for the sake of learning how to play with a bass player, that is definitely uh, an album to refer to for um, uh, a comping sake, just because if you listen to the piano playing in that and try to mimic the approach that's being taken, then you can't really go wrong with most styles of music that you'll end up playing because of the amount of space and respect that's given between the players. Um, so not only is the bass flawless, but um, if you want to know how to play alongside fantastic bass playing, then that's a really good reference as well. Yeah, exactly. Because usually when I'm playing guitar and I'm comping, I'm not thinking comp like a guitarist. I'm thinking comp like a piano, which for whatever reason, just that mental state is perfect for being able to um, 
support the other players perfectly and not get too busy. Um, whereas if I'm playing lead lines, I'm usually thinking about uh, a singer or a saxophone player. But uh, um, my recommendation, I don't know if it's necessarily a recommendation. It's just what I've been listening to. On the way home, I was going through some... Uh, music from the olden days back in high school and i rediscovered a uh a uh i guess you could call them rock maybe metal i don't know i don't really care about genre stuff but it's music uh it was a band <laughs> that was called theocracy uh they didn't make that much I feel like i've heard of them probably they're uh they're pretty heavy and their music is each song is super long well most of them at least i was listening specifically to a song that's 22 minutes long and i forgot how over the top and entertaining their music is um it's it's just really fun stuff it's uh not jazzy in any way whatsoever and i wouldn't say it's like the ultimate level of music or anything i'm just still really impressed by them because it's mostly all done by one guy well it was. I, I don't know how long it's been since they've been together, but um, he, if I remember right, wrote everything, like all of the parts for all of the instruments. And then uh, in uh, their later albums, he has a band that plays, but he's still the one that like did everything. And uh, I think he sings all the harmonies and stuff like that. So they didn't really play live at all. It was more of a studio project kind of a thing, but right, it's still right. a it's still a fun group to listen to that I don't think many people have really ever heard of. I guess the uh, comparable stuff might be, I don't know, like Iron Maiden or whatever. Um, right. But uh, I, don't, I don't really listen to that kind of music that much, but it was on my mind as something that's just yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, it's fun to listen to every now and then. Yeah, it's fun to pop on. Just be like, oh yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bonus recommendation this week too. Um, listen to anything Marvin Gaye or James Jamerson playing bass. Uh, he played with the the uh, in Motown. Basically, played on every Motown hit there's ever been. Between so listen to him because if you want to listen to good harmonic bass playing that's a little bit more modern, that's the guy to listen to. Everybody listens back to him for how to groove playing melodic ideas in your baseline outlining the chord perfectly he's a good guy to go to especially for electric bassists for sure yeah definitely a good guy all right anything else you want to talk about this week i mean have you been playing anything or have you mostly been busy um i played a a, a church gig this past week where i got to take out my new mark bass amp that was uh that was pretty exciting uh, first time I got to take that amp out anywhere and really see what it could do, and man, I was blown away by it. Sweet, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> what about you? Um, I've still been uh, noodling around on Donnelly once in a while, but the main thing that I've been working on is the one, so like two second part of Yes's Roundabout, where in the introduction, the nylon guitar part, most of that is super easy, but right before it gets into the full groove, there's a the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It, it's really quick, and the fingerings are a little bit odd, and I have a student that uh, really wants to do the whole thing, and I think their plan is uh, for my one student who's on guitar and his sister is on bass for them both to learn it, and then 
on oh, the, nice. when the next recitals come around, maybe do a duo thing and I might like use something percussive or um, join them in some way to, to fill it out a bit. But uh, that could be a really, I mean, I'd be really impressed because if they were doing that by the next recital, they'd be playing that in less than a year of playing, I think. <laughs> right. So uh, that, and both of them already have most of the parts. It's mainly that little part there that is actually tricky for a guitar player. It's just the fingerings that are a little odd. Um, right. I might be fingering like it wrong for all one. I know. Right. That's, that's always possible. It's, I like how you said tricky though and not hard because I don't think there's a whole lot of music that is legitimately hard. It's just wrapping your mind around it and making your body do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah not yeah. hard. It's just tricky. <laughs> And I'm using a tab, and you know how those are. So I have oh, yeah, to kind of like reevaluate whether or not the tab is actually the best way to play it. Or <laughs> right, I, I hate using tabs just for that reason because sometimes it takes me out of the context of uh, what the notes actually are and finding mm-hmm. the best way to play them. And it it can be a pain in the butt, but I I know that I'll get it. it I already had it down. It's just getting it consistently without flubbing it. Right. I understand that completely. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, Please share our podcast. Give us a review on iTunes. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn. We're on Google Podcast and Google Play Podcast. And we're on Podbean. So basically, anywhere you want to listen to a podcast, we're there. So listen to us. Share it with your friends. Give us a review. Send us an email. um, Send us a submission. For uh, the what for the new segment we want to do called What the Pluck, where we review your music and give you some valuable feedback. So, um, and you can find that at TommyBowls.com. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, TommyBowls.com. Um, there's a podcast page on there where you can listen to us. There's our blog on there. Matt just wrote a cool blog that uh, kind of introducing his background and everything. That's available on there. Um, we're gonna start posting some show notes on there too. Um, so stay tuned for that. Hopefully we'll have that up pretty soon. Um, and then you can also submit anything, any submissions through there, or you can email it to us. So, uh, Tommy at tommyballs.com or Matt at tommyballs.com and Matt with one T though. And, uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. See. And, uh, oh, next week we're going to continue on on this topic. We will finish this up and we'll talk about how time is the next most important thing for the role of a bass player. And then we'll move on after that. So thank you for tuning in and listening, guys. We'll see you next week. See you, guys.